Ian Wright, would you uh, win the league or keep Bukayo Saka? There's nothing that's going to make me give up Bukayo Saka. Hi everyone, how you doing? I'm Ian Wright and I want to tell you about Wright's House, my podcast on The Ringer. Twice a week I'm joined by a rotating panel of guests to talk about football, films, life and even cars. The film. <laughs> we give out flowers, we break down goals and sometimes we talk about some serious topics around football and other sports. Come join us twice a week. Search for Writer's House on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. Take it easy. <laughs> There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast. I'm Musa Kwonga. I'm Ryan Hun. Ryan, how are you doing? I'm doing all right, thanks Musa. I'm doing all right, I think. How are you? Uh, I'm good, considering, well, I'm much better than many other souls in the football firmament, I think I can say. I'm hey, good. well, do you want to hear some exciting news that will really G you up for this podcast? What's that? Premier League starts in 75 days. Amazing, cannot wait to get back into it. Can't wait. <laughs> Well, speaking of the Premier League, you and I are on Wright's house, so go and check that. That's where yeah. we did our end of the season Premier League thing. Mm. We did it with Ian. So we're not going to talk about the Premier League at all today. We're saving it all for Wright's house. Um, and also, we're not going to talk about the WSL final day at all. We're going to leave that to Counterpressed. Counterpressed, so Go and check absolutely. Counterpressed with Flo and the gang. If you haven't subscribed to Counterpressed, what do you do? Search for it on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. But yeah, today... Actually, did I ask you how you were? You uh, did. You did, right at the beginning. Right? You always do. Okay. And I said something about souls and firmaments. You which did. Is, yeah. I'd need this analogy for the first time. <laughs> that's why, that's, see, that's where you lost me. She tuned it out. Moose, <laughs> <laughs> it's the 29th of May and the season's not done. Leave me alone. <laughs> two weeks left. Oh my goodness. Wow. Um, so today we are going to focus on Germany. We are. Because uh, there was a lot to decide this weekend in Germany, in the men's Bundesliga, in the men's Zweite Bundesliga, in the Frauen Bundesliga yes. as well. Mm. So we're going to stick to mainly Germany. Let's get into it after this. All right, man, we have to begin in the men's Bundesliga on Saturday afternoon. We have to. Bayern Munich won their 11th straight Bundesliga. Uh, they beat Köln 2-1, a late goal from Jamal Musiala in the 89th minute was Gorgeous enough finish, yeah. after Kingsley Coleman had put them ahead very early on. Uh, Lubacic had got a penalty back for Köln. Late, 10 minutes to go. go. Yeah. And uh, Köln could have had another one, actually, in that time before yeah. Bayern went and got the winner. Meanwhile, in Dortmund, uh, Dortmund were 2-0 down in 25 minutes yes. against Mainz. They had a penalty. Well, Sebastian Haller had a penalty saved. Yeah. Um, 
in that time as well. And they that looked a little yeah, bit shell shocked. Yeah. Uh, quickly, just down the bottom of the table before we before yes. we uh, go into it. Schalke were relegated along with Hertha and Stuttgart's draw wasn't enough to get them out with of the bottom yeah. three. Mm. Yeah, so they will go into the relegation, which is the playoff against HSV, yes, yes. who once again missed out on automatic promotion from the Spider Bundesliga, which we'll talk about later. But do you want to start at the Westfalen? We have to. Not quite sure how to describe this, but I feel as a day, and I mean combination of the football, what was at stake, what was going on, and to be honest, what was being said, mm. a really, really, I found this a really strange day. Um, just a quick recap for those who who, who missed the game. Uh, Olsen, uh, Hansa Olsen gave uh, Mainz the lead after 15 minutes. Sebastian Aller missed, well, had a penalty saved four minutes later. It was a, quite a poor penalty, actually. Mm. Um, Dortmund then probably should have had another penalty, actually, mm. Mm. that was very much in the, oh, I've just given you one, I'm probably not going to give you another one. And I've seen them given... Yeah, yeah, I think that should have at least gone to VAR. But Guerrero was bud, like nudged in the back, well, kind of shoved in the back, really. Yeah. Um, on a Siwo gave Mainz a two-goal lead after 24 minutes. Ball and, creeping in from a free header. Oh. Yeah, and yeah. Dortmund looked at that point completely shell-shocked. It was basically 20 minutes left minimum of that first half where Dortmund were crying out for half-time. Um. Marius Wolf was off at half time for Yusuf and Makoku. In that time as well, they lost Karim Adeyemi to a hamstring injury, it looked like. Marco mm. Royce came on with five minutes to go before the break. Rafa Guerrero got one back for Dortmund after 69 minutes. And then Nicolas Zula got one back in stoppage time at the end of the game, which meant uh, Dortmund were a goal away from Everyone. winning the title. And the worst, yeah, there's, there's a, we'll get into it, but that's another. That's, that's a great summary. Only the XG for Dortmund was four. They should have won the game. Six big chances, 29 shots. And the thing is, and, and uh, 70% possession. And the thing is, it's even with the poor first half, they still had plenty. Even if they'd scored with, they had a very good chance from Allaire just before the hour mark. Very good chance from Royce. Back post, yeah. Back post, back post. Royce again, back post, headed two, headed over. Either of those go in, there's still half an hour to go. And even a disjointed Dortmund, the way they were creating chances, just should, should have. And this is the thing. There's, the headline I took from it, watching the entire, watching sort of the entire action play out, was um, if Dortmund had stuck to their guns, they could not should have won. Even down to the minor decisions like Sebastian Aller staying on the post for the first goal. Um, and just tracking a man at the corner or small decisions like Emre Chan taking the penalty because it was Allaire's first penalty of the season. Yep, Emre Chan had the ball in his hands and is the penalty yeah. taker for Dortmund. And I'm, I mean, we've seen it before mm. in games like that, just stick to the plan. Pep had that when um, Haaland gave Gundogan the penalty for the hat-trick a few weeks back. Yes, and Pep and was Gundogan. infuriated. Yeah, Pep was like just, Pep said, Erling, Erling, you can see that video, like oh, the, the, the footage of him being like, Erling, Erling, you take it, you take it. But do you know why? Because Pep knows that those are the details that matter because he knows that down the line, that appeal to sentiment is what costs you and the margins become really tight. 
it wasn't even that Pep was necessarily angry about that specific goal, even though it was important actually in the context. It was actually really important as a miss, weirdly enough. It was really important. But the wider thing is Pep, looking at all the details, is so aware because he's the best club manager operating at the moment in world football. Pep is aware that that tendency to allow sentiment to overcome, the, the, to be overcome by the specific moment, because actually for Halles, emotional arc, it would have been incredible if he'd taken that penalty, scored it, and then Dortmund go, and, and weirdly, if Dortmund equalised then, I think Dortmund go on to do it, actually, because mm. they arrest the momentum, they've got, they've got a goal, and then they could just play their football, they've got a platform, they've shown they can score in the last day. Yeah, and I it's think, back to how it started, you just essentially, you're, you're playing a what, a 75 minute game, basically. And that's the gamble, the gamble, of course, that Chan made was, Alain scores the penalty, that's the tide of emotion, it settles us down, and it was, in retrospect, it was, I think it was too big a gamble to make. And it's such a split second decision and it's harsh, but we've seen the title race decided in, in, you know, in England by these fine margins. Uh, it was very poignant. We'll get into this on Wrighty's house, but it was really poignant to see Wolves swept away by Arsenal on the final day thinking. It, know, was, it was, it was, because this is, sorry to cut it, but it was just last day Arsenal. I think if the title race is close, they didn't hammer them, but anyway. Um, Ooh, maybe. Yeah, you know maybe. I mean? but, but, but only only this, only this. So on back before you get to this with the wider points, can I just say in, in relation to Mainz, late, you talk about late season Mainz, this is exactly who they are. You know, and this is the thing, Bo Svensson announcing himself as, you know, on a global level, cool as a bro. spectacular coach. Bo Svensson, another brilliant coach coming from the Mainz stable, following Klopp and Tuchel. Mainz absolutely played their part in this. They beat Bayern. This is what Mainz do late season. People forget that. Edin Terzic said something after the game to Archie Rintut where he, he basically said that like they, they stopped, I'm paraphrasing, but they kind of stopped playing their football mm. Mm. at 2-0. Mm. And you could see it. They've played some really, really good football this season. They've been really patient, but mm. they've also, they were also kind of looking a bit thin. There were a lot of parallels with this season's Arsenal run, which I want, I'll talk about in a little bit, but yeah. Games like this, for example, is where you where an, an injury like Jude Bellingham mm. will really, really cost you. The, the tragedy of Bellingham missing this yeah. of all games. I mean, yeah, the tragedy, the irony. I mean, the football gods really went to town on this one. They really mm. did. Mainz's final four points of the season came in that win at, uh, at home against Bayern 3-1. Yeah. And then the point away at Dortmund and they lost four of the all four of their games in between those two fixtures scoring three goals and conceding they, they conceded three in three of those games and yeah. four in the other one but they've got you this know, weird so they, thing about like big if there's a big late season fixture they love it for some I don't know what it is about I mean We've put it this, this way if, like they finished above Gladbach this season they finished three points behind Wolfsburg and four points behind Eintracht Frankfurt and by Leverkusen they months. weren't a million miles away from Europe this year, my, that's, that's, that's an unbelievable. It's an unbelievable achievement, actually, in the context. Yeah. There's, some, there's something, look, here's the thing. There, there, there are many, many teams I would have rather, for Dortmund's sake, have seen them face on the last game of the season than Mainz specifically. Mm. The way that Mainz withstood the pressure against um, a Bayern team that was desperate to win. They may not have played with the greatest fluency. They were desperate. I mean, Kimmich was, des was definitely desperate. First of all, this is what Mainz do. Secondly, with, with Dortmund, the one thing I would say they need is um, Bayern obviously serial winners. And Bayern has something that serial winners have in spades, which is a sense of entitlement. Now, a sense of entitlement is not mm. a great thing to have in most areas of life, but in sport, you absolutely need it. 
And if I have one criticism of Dortmund, apart from they didn't stick to their guns, it's that they need to get to the habit of winning things they don't think they fully deserve. You see it so often, you are oh, like, oh, this team, like they won below their best. Actually, there needs to be an element of smash and grab. Because Bayern at this point, 11 league titles in a row, aren't ashamed of how it looks. Mm. They are not ashamed of how it looks. When that thing is in the trophy cabinet, no one cares about how tarnished it is or polished it is. It's a trophy, it's there. No one, no one cares about that. Um, Oliver Kahn's left, Salah Hamadrich have left. You know, th- this is well, a they conversation. Got, they got, got fired. This is literally minutes after the game. Uh, without, Oliver Kahn, was, they weren't allowed to go to the, uh, the after party and Oliver Kahn said it was the worst day of his life. Right, I mean, yeah. Um, I mean, to be honest, we'll, I feel we'll, that we'll this... Get, uh, we'll get into that. I mean, on, on that, we can because we could do that actually really super brief. I think the okay. Bayern should have at least waited till this week to do that. But I think that that, that shows how they were unhappy points. they were with they were their points. performance this season in the fact that they, would have, they did it in the aftermath of them winning the title. It was almost like we nearly didn't and it was all your fault. We're firing you. That was late 90s Real Madrid. That was old school FC yeah. Hollywood. That, that, that there, that ruthlessness. What was it? Jupp Heynckes. Jupp Heynckes sacked 20 days after winning the Champions League in 98. That is in 90. You know, that still, was, one of the, still one of the worst top level men's football things I've seen. Even now, even now, look what they did to my boy. Yeah, absolutely wild. Bayern wanted to make a point there, actually. They wanted the bloody fingerprints all over the scene there. That, that was a brutal sacking, but they were making a point. They don't do those things lightly. But in terms of Bayern's victory and, and Dortmund failing to get over the line, just a really, look, I, I, and I can say this because I actually had to watch the game back because I was following it online because I was at a friend's, a dear friend's wedding. So we were following it on the kind of, which is awful, like Bundesliga by text because the problem is the app is too good. So it gives you a really good blow by blow, but you know, watching the entire game, knowing what's happened, watching it back, the horror unfolding because it wasn't, oh, just, yeah. it wasn't just the game and it was such an uncomfortable watch. It wasn't just the game. It was the, the arc of all these players was Marco Royce's arc at Dortmund, but also all the injuries he's had with, with Germany. So you wanted him to get this for him. Bellingham to complete an incredible arc with what he's done with Dortmund. Didn't get his chance to do that. Adiemi back from injury. You know, a crucial injury for Adiemi. And then getting Champions injury League. again. Yeah. And then Allaire, everything he's been through this year. Terzic as a fan of Dortmund. Like, oh, like th- this was actually, and this is, I will, this, I will say this, it will sound dramatic, but I'll say it. We've seen Dortmund have these reverses, these struggles, these defeats. But this felt like an era-defining, an era-defining defeat in terms of the pain or the scar that that leaves. Regardless of how they do the next year, the collective pain, like I'm not a Dortmund fan and I felt, I felt pain. Yeah, I think it was just, I think it was just hard seeing, um, and obviously Bayern fans listening to this will give zero fucks about this, understandably. But I think and, and, that, and they shouldn't. And they shouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. No. Exactly. They want to. They want another title. They won it because they won the game, and Dortmund didn't capitalize and put it into context. Uh, Tobias Escher wrote a uh, a tweet saying, uh, "Bayern's playing its worst season in terms of points tally in eleven years, and Dortmund's is their fourth best in that period. Mm. They've had better seasons and not won the league. Oh my god! The year when they had Tuchel there and Pep's Barca and Pep's Barca, exactly. Pep's Barca, Pep's Bayern, Pep's Bayern, Pep's Bayern, Bayern yeah. beat them." And Dortmund at that point had one of the best, I mean, they were talking, the statisticians were raving about it. They're saying one of the greatest attacks the Bundesliga has seen. It's really, really easy from an English gaze to just be like bottle jobs, right? Especially if you, especially if you watch them once every three, three months. You could see the shock 
in the stadium and you could see how Dortmund couldn't react to being 2-0 down. Mm. And afterwards, what Terzic said about them not playing their football, that was the biggest thing about this. I don't think, much like Arsenal actually, there's a lot of parallels with this season's Arsenal squad. And the reason for that, and I'll look at some positives. First of all, they didn't expect to be in that position in the first place. Mm. But there's been a real focus on Ter- from Terzic to reconnect the club to the fans. Mm. First of all, you can tell how much the players love him. You could tell after the Pokal that they won a couple of years ago that they loved him. This season, I feel like you've, they, they have got through some really difficult periods this season, Dortmund, in terms of like losing players, yeah, key, key massive injuries, injuries at key, key injuries. points of the season with an already pretty thin squad mm. and loads of talk about Jude Bellingham going, Jude Bellingham, by the way, 19 years old, wins Bundesliga player of the season, you know, missing for the key fixture on the final day of the season that could have won them the league because of a knee injury. But Bellingham, that could make the difference. There's two things here. I think from the outside, this will look like a generation, like almost like a generational defeat. And we might look at each other and be like, I don't know how Dortmund come back from this. Yeah. But I think that once the dust settles and once they've had a little bit of, they've stepped away, there's a lot, there are a lot of players have left. Guerrero's leaving. A few of the players are going to leave. Bellingham might leave, but they'll get a big transfer fee for him. I think there's going to be a different Dortmund when they come back from this. And we, I feel like we say this every year with Dortmund, actually. So I understand that people might be rolling their eyes, but I feel like there's more at stake here than just winning the title, if that makes sense. Because this was a club that I think was a little bit, felt a little bit like it was drifting in terms of what it was anymore. This felt like an Argentina 2014 defeat, you know, the World Cup final 2014. Where actually, you're not expecting Argentina to win that tie. And once you're there, maybe you take it. But the thing is, of course, the opponent you have is very experienced and gives you virtually no margin for error. And the frustration at Dortmund not winning, I think, is mirrored by the frustration at Arsenal not winning. It goes beyond those two clubs. It's bigger than that. It's actually, I think, about the fact that you have these overwhelming, seemingly unstoppable forces in football and people are almost frustrated to the point of, can't someone stop them? Can't somebody stop them? So if it wasn't like the mask, somebody stop me. So if, it, if it's not Dortmund or Arsenal, then it should be. I don't know, United or, or some, someone, just, someone just interrupt the, the monotonous winning streak that these, these teams are on, which is what Bayern are on, it's what City are on. But that's a conversation more about resources than it is about Dortmund. Because actually, in a league where there is better balance, there's a variety of title winners. So I think Dortmund and Arsenal are catching a lot of flack for that. Because if you look at resources, actually, these races shouldn't be that close. I think people don't understand the gulf that exists financially between Dortmund, even though they get all those fans in to watch and buy it. They don't really... I mean, just for the record here, I'd like to point out that they're a lot closer to Bayern than they are the rest of the league. They're, they in, their, they're in this kind of own weird little middle tier, really. And they are. Which kind of makes it a little bit more of a... Deli- not delicate, but... Tricky but look, conversation. Talk, 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 no, talk, talk, talking in a wider context, I'm not, look, I'm not attacking Bayern for maximising their own resources. I'm not doing that. And also, look, I'm not going to deny or defend the argument that Dortmund should have won more league titles in this intervening period. They absolutely should have done. It's just that in the context of this season, Dortmund have come closer than anyone might have expected. Um, Alaire's resurgence in form was incredible. And I think that Look, there were a lot of choices that were made along the way. We, and of course, we're going to forget now that Dortmund, brilliant demolition of Wolfsburg just a couple of weeks ago. 
after a bad defeat to Bayern Leverkusen, said, oh, they're going to bottle it. A really strong win against an Augsburg team that needed something. Like all those things that Dortmund did, though they're anything but what a bottling team does, will be forgotten because of mm. a couple of bad choices made in the last day. And a Mainz team that is resilient when it matters most and a brilliant, brilliant coach in adversity. And Bo Svensson, you know, here's the thing. Rather than looking this at the, well, maybe it's the end of a particular generation of Dortmund players. And that's like compared to 2014, where 2014, you had that and then you had the next year, yeah. you have a bit of a renewal and the new Argentina comes through, the new Dortmund comes through. What I think this also looks at and marks is it's another milestone for Bo Svensson. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see what he does as a coach. And when we look back five years at his career, we might look at this two, three weeks he's had as a milestone when he decided the title race, actually, because he did, I think. The point in isolation at home against Mainz is not really a dreadful result. No. In the context of winning the league, it's people will see it as, you know, whatever. And I think the main criticism I have of Dortmund is that, and it's a, it's a criticism kind of tinged with understanding, is that the inexperience of how to handle the game state at 2-0 was wild. They should have just kept playing football yep. and broken it down to be like, right, we get a goal before halftime, we're good. Just play football. But there was this, there was, there were poor passages of play, poor decision making. And it was like, it was almost like, guys, you're better than this. Do you know what it was though? It was the sheer terror of conceding the third and it going out of sight because, because the manner of the concessions, this is the thing. I think mm. the reason why there was that fear was those two goals they concede, they concede there's two goals in like what, 12 minutes apart. And one's the near post header. You see the negligent marking. And the second one, the marking was arguably even worse. A free header, absolutely free header. You've got like tall centre-backs and the guy's got, what, five metres of room to make a decision. And mm. Koble's just absolutely enraged because he's like, that header's not even that powerful. With someone marking them, I save that. So you see his frustration as well. So that fear of twisting or stick, because if you up the ante in terms of better attack and you lose space, there was the fear they were going to leak another goal. So I can get why they were in that. Mm. that place of insecurity over the time. So it's such a tough one for Dortmund. Um, but again, managing a game state. There's one thing I would say about this, and I don't know if I'm speaking out of turn, but when you haven't done a thing for a long time, it's really, really important to seek out people who have. And I'm sure that Terzic took on great advice prior to that. I just wonder if there's room in the off-season, go and talk to a retired manager who's done it, go and talk to Jupp Heynckes, go and, and just be like, do you know what? What got you over the line? Mm. Obviously every situation is different, but there are some specifics in football where it's like, you know, for example, the last day, what are the variables? And someone like Heynckes might have said, do you know what? You will spook the horses if you change too much. Mm. Players are looking at routine. Thing is, Dortmund almost played this game as a one-off. Mm. They played it as a, a, a cup final or whatever in terms of that occasion, that, that grand occasion. And they should have played it as a final league fixture. As okay, here's our plan. Here's our process. This is what we've done throughout. Let's go in. Let's execute. Okay, Jude's out. Someone else has come in, but they've been brilliant all year. Um, Brandt, you've been brilliant. And actually, when Brandt just basically played with freedom, maybe the maybe the only attacking player to play with true freedom in the first half, in terms of breaking ground, that brilliant chance at the very end. I just thought you run at them and there's gaps. Yeah. So just you know. Brand keep playing. That, we, we keep coming back to it, but the Zidane team talk at the halftime, the Champions League final 2017, where he basically just goes, Marcelo, push up 10 yards. You do this. We're going to win this. 
so it's, it's that element of I, I hope I hope that people at Dortmund just go and seek out even more of that advice how to get over the line because that that's all that's really missing with with, with this squad I think Terzic said something about using this great pain was the quote he used the term he used to motivate them for next season in a sporting sense pain can be a, a big motivator uh, you know you look at Arteta using it for the Newcastle game away being like so Alex Bergson using it in 2013 exactly. 2012 sorry yeah I think that whilst absolutely heartbreaking from a neutral and Dortmund perspective I feel like I'm a little bit more on the positive side of things in terms of looking forward for Dortmund because I think Edin Terzic is I, he's just really impressive a couple of times this season he's made some tactical calls which I think haven't worked and he probably didn't need to do I think he actually did one in this game I think he would have been Dortmund would have for example they knew probably going into this game that they were going to have loads of the ball mm. right you look at someone like I know Kareem Adeyemi's been brilliant when he's played this season but you're not going to get a lot of spacing behind Rafa Guerrero moved to left back at half time when they took Marius Wolf off and put Ryson on the other side I think there were little things like that they could have started with Rafa Guerrero is so good at left back I know he's played midfield a bit this season but I think that you've kind of got enough in there. I know that he wanted to get more people in there without Jude Bellingham, but I would rather see Emery Chan just really in there, maybe with Julian Brandt and have Rafa Guerrero as an extra playmaker in, a, in where he's going to have loads of space. I think the little tweaks like this that I think are easy for us to call in hindsight. I think at the time... But the things you've, you've, said, you've, mentioned, you've mentioned Guerrero left back before. I think yeah, I just lose. think he's so good at left back. I, I, I mean, he's, I agree, leaving, I he's leaving this summer on a, as, a, as a free agent, which is, I think is, is so disappointing for Dortmund. But he's been amazing. I think he just wants to seek a new challenge. Mm. Uh, Barcelona were in the conversation, which I think makes loads of sense. They actually. can't keep getting away yeah. with this. I know, Barca right? Replacing, replacing Alba, Alba with leaving. I know. It's just, it's, it's almost too Barca-like. Yeah. But yeah. Um, it's the most Jordi Alba like player not playing at Barca. Know, exactly. <laughs> and like, we've talked about Dortmund for ages now and yeah. I feel like... But rightly, th- rightly so because I think it's bigger than Dortmund actually, that conversation. Yeah, I think basically what happens is in, in situations like this when a side is so not used to having this opportunity mm. at this stage of the season or this generation of side hasn't because it's Dortmund. They've won leagues before but they haven't for a while. I feel like they... I feel like it can be harder for some teams to get this over the line yeah. when they haven't done it before because it's almost kind of like, if we don't do it now, when are we ever going to get a chance to do it again? And un- Dortmund just kind of froze in the moment. This is where you would look at people like Mats Hummels to really, or even Nicolas Zula, to be honest, who have done this. They've won the Bundesliga, you know, and it's actually it's really, step. it's really striking that even those players who've done it, they this froze. speaks to the pressure. Yeah. It speaks yeah. to the pressure. And actually this is, how do I say this um, gently? It's really interesting because we saw it at the World Cup too with Argentina. It's not actually the senior players that pull you through all the time. No. It's really interesting. Someone like McAllister came in. McAllister came in like he was, <laughs> I'm only laughing because the man was playing like he was training. He was, he played the World Cup with the same casualness as diffidence if he was doing preseason training at Brighton. Yep. Like he was so chill. And Alvarez was like, ah, oh, this World Cup thing, let's go and let's go and win that, shall we? Let's go and do that. Like just ran the show. But it almost meant too much to the more senior players. Yeah. Because the history means more. And they say at this this moment means more. Uh but well, yeah, that's how that's yeah. my take on it. Um the paradox right, of experience we can call it. Let's talk about Bayern very quickly because we have to. Eleven yeah. in a row now. Yes. Um we 
have talked numerous times about Bayern's dominance in the Bundesliga and how we think it's not obviously great for the league. Um, not entirely sure that Thomas Tuchel deserves to have this one on his Wikipedia page, if I'm being honest. <laughs> and I think it should go, I think the, I think Julian Nagelsmann deserves a, at least having this one on his honours list. The house that Nagelsmann you know, built, yeah. Um, weird season for Bayern. Really weird. And I feel like the, the sackings of Salah Hamasic and Khan post-game demonstrate how, let's just say how maybe a little bit extra behind the scenes everything was. I still think this is, this is going to be really weird because Bayern have obviously won the league and everyone's going to be like, Bayern won the league. But they won it on goal difference and they, they fired a coach in April who was on for a treble and a point off top. A point off top in April, on for a treble and you fire the coach and you end up winning the league on goal difference. Fixing something isn't broken. Yeah, that was a successful season, or if they feel that that was a deeply successful decision, they wouldn't have fired Karl Salahamizic. Or the other option is that they actually really want to go all in on Tuchel, and they know that the Karl and Salahamizic in the executive roles above Tuchel are not the people that are going to make that relationship gel. But again, the way they did it, Khan couldn't go to the game. He tweeted he wasn't allowed to go to the game. That is so damning. If you think how much chaos behind the scenes he must have caused, if you think about all the all the all the bridges he must have burned, mm. and they're like here, like that, because that is that is blood for your territory. You're publicly humiliating one of your greatest legends, someone that won you a Champions League at the turn of the century, and you sack him to say he can't come to it. We, you know, I'm sure there's all kinds of NDAs that have been signed, but we will never get the full story of all the rants that went on behind the scenes that made people, that made him abandon even his closest allies. We'll never know all of that. So yeah, Khan out, Salahamidzic out. And if I'm honest, they weren't of the level of Nagelsmann. They're not of the level of Tuchel. And this is now a chance for Bayern to get Tuchel level executives at the very top again. It's literally the best thing that could have happened for Tuchel. Actually, it is. It is. It's the best thing because he didn't. He didn't come like, from one mess to go into another. He didn't do that. The only thing that I'm, the only thing that I'm, uh, I don't think will age particularly well with this though is that they should have done this for Nagelsmann actually. Yeah, they should have. You pay oh, like the, essentially what, like a world record transfer fee for a manager, right? And then you don't put the, everything around This is exactly him. what my friend said. I know they didn't actually play that badly against City in the Champions League, but I do wonder whether that disruption just. They, they didn't look the same, even though they were patchy before the, the Nagelsmann sacking, they didn't look like the same team afterwards. They were putting it together. I will maintain this to the end. They were putting it together in the Champions League. Mm. I know the PSG team was poor, but they made them look a lot worse than they were in that second mm. leg. They really found the coherence and the balance. And I saw that and I thought, this Nagelsmann team, the way that he's got them, he was, people have to understand with Nagelsmann, he went to RB Leipzig. And with almost minimal additions to that, with minimal additions to that squad, he got them like 20 goals more out of that attack. He's, he's, he, he conjured 20 goals out of that attack. He's someone who's very good at getting existing pieces that aren't always the best and maximizing them. Mm. Now, obviously, when you have supreme talent like he has at Bayern, it's not just about talent maximization, it's about managing egos. But even there, I think he was winning that. I think people, people don't understand how long it takes to change a culture where things have been a certain way for a while. I think Nagelsmann was winning, especially when you had the older players going out and the youngest one coming, the younger ones coming in and taking instruction. It was really poignant to see Musiala scoring the winner because Musiala oh. almost announcing the new era of dominance for Bayern potentially. Musiala announcing himself the real deal. Um, I mean, he, we knew about him, but I think 
that's the kind of goal that puts you on the map mm. really globally. Although actually, yeah, I thought we had a really good World Cup, to be honest. <laughs> he, he did, yeah. I thought we had a really good World Cup yeah, yeah. in amongst it all. You know, a very brave football and someone who Nagelsmann fully believed in. Mm. So it's a shame, really. It's quite poignant, too, that someone that Nagelsmann did so much to develop in terms of his style and his bravery and just tactical awareness didn't get to see that job through. And I'm always, look, I'm always pro-coach in the sense that I love to see a coach see through their plan, whatever it is. Um, so yeah, real shame for them. But we have to mention, if we're on the Bundesliga, I know we've talked about Bayern briefly. You want to guess the first, only one guess I'm going to go elsewhere in the Bundesliga. Are you going to go down the road? Got to go, got to go to Union. Oh, down the road to Kopernik. Got to go to Union because here's the thing. Union Berlin, winning 1-0 in the final game of the season against Werder to seal Champions League qualification, fourth place in the Bundesliga. In Rose Fischer, astonishing. Can I say this? Here's an interesting detail. I think 14 years, 15 years after his brother, 16 years after his brother scores the winner on the last day of the season to win Stuttgart, the Bundesliga title, Rani Kadira. So Sammy Kadira, Stuttgart legend, Rani Kadira with arguably the most important goal in Union's history. Not the, but well, one of the most, maybe a top three most important goal in Union's history. I'm sure there's a goal that like saved them from relegation years ago that's equally important. Um, putting them into the Champions League with a few minutes to go after Freiburg put up a really strong showing but go down against Eintracht in the end in the other game. 1-0 to Union who ended the season unbeaten at home in the Bundesliga. The only team to be unbeaten at home in the Bundesliga. The Bundesliga which below Bayern of course was a league so well balanced that the top goal scorer only scored 16 goals. Like, this was a season where the midsection, the upper midsection of this, of this league, and even like some of the bottom for a large period, was really, really well balanced, actually. And so for them to pull through like this is just, as an achievement, <laughs> astonishing. I mean, basically, it's, it's, it's Urs Fischer Coach of the Year. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, less than four years ago that they played their first Bundesliga game. I mean, they keep confounding us. I wrote a tweet afterwards being like, it cannot be overstated how big an achievement this is. And the I mean, fact that it was either them or Freiburg in the fourth Champions League spot, Urs Fischer, Christian Streich, are two of the most unbelievable coaches, the most unbelievable coaches in world football. Now, I know that they're probably, a lot of it is, they understand their surroundings, they understand the culture, and they understand everything. But, but still, all of that. They still. are genuinely incredible and the fact that they keep improving is I don't know how either of those two have done that with the resources and in an era where where there's a lot of modern football is rubbish yeah. the fact that Union and Freiburg are in a shout with going to the Champions League Do they coach the lights out some of the Champions League spots Real Sociedad security we're not going to talk about La Liga today but the, the only thing we were going to really talk about was Real Sociedad qualifying for the Champions League and Busquets and Alba saying goodbye in their last home game at Camp Nou and, and yeah. Barcelona saying goodbye to Camp Nou for a little bit actually lovely goodbye there. but Real Sociedad in the Champions League Lons in the Champions League it's incredible man honestly Urs Fischer again coach of the year I think I mean, we have to almost call it early. I don't know what else. Honorable mentions, of course. Honorable mentions, of course, along the I way. I don't think. I don't think any. Honestly, do especially with the Argentina season, it, but still, 
But in, in the this, Bundesliga this season, like Bundesliga specifically, he's by far and away the coach of the year. Oh yeah, that's not and that's not close. I think it's so hard to fully, to fully grasp the scale of that job that Urs Fischer has done. I remember when I first saw Union coming up, and I saw the turnover figures and the resources that Union had compared to other clubs, and it was somewhere like halfway up. This was four years ago. They were like in terms of turnover, they were like halfway up side to Bundesliga mm. in terms of turnover. And then the way that he built, the way that he added new pieces, the way that he evolved their game, they came in solid defensively, a set-piece team, counter-attack, then playing more on the front foot, but still strong on the counter. And just that, the base, I mean, just everything that he put in place is systematic, methodical. You almost felt like this man, you know, like you look at Mourinho having the dossier, the famous dossier that he worked off over the course of seasons. Mm. Urs Fischer basically having a multi-year plan of like, okay, by this point, we're going to be here, we're going to be here. And you've just seen him add more and more and you've seen him sell off players. When they, they lost Max Cruiser, we thought, oh my goodness. When they lost Aronie, we thought, oh my goodness, like two of those big players. And they, Gerardo Banker, Becker came in and just was dominant. And there's all these tweaks they made, you know, Sven Mikkel coming in, mm. experienced goal scorer at a lower league and coming in and just all the tweaks. Kedira coming in, stepping out, Kroos going out, becoming a coach, all of this, like, and just the evolution. And actually there's, there's one parallel, you know, we talk about Brighton a lot, but when you've got a structure which works so well, the beauty of that, which Brighton have got, and obviously Union have in the, in the Bundesliga, is that a certain point when the structure is so good at board level and at coaching level, you can lose players. You can have the alums going out and the new ones coming in. And you can kind of, and we don't want to get ahead of ourselves with Union, but the system can keep producing great results despite mm. the changes in personnel that appear, that appear to be key on the pitch. I think we can, you know, we've, we've seen sides have, a, have an unbelievable season before and then fall away. The fact that Union, well, first of all, the fact that they stayed in the league in the first place, but in the second season, they got the Conference League, then they got Europa League, and now they're in the Champions League. It's unbelievable. I, I just, I, it, I can't, I, I don't an, know why. Un, it's an incredible, yeah, because it's an incredible. Dude, it's Union, man. Like, every, I, look, I look at the league table every week and I'm like, what are they, not, no disrespect, how? Like, <laughs> how? Just incredible coaching, incredible execution by the players, credit to everyone in the organization, credit to the supporters who create their energy every single week. You make it a joy to play them. And I'm sure there are, I'm sure there are players at Union who've had bigger offers to go elsewhere, but they're like, no, the vibe here is the whole package here. And the beauty is now you go out and you sell that as, um, as a club. And it's almost now where, you know, there are some clubs where agents are proactively on the phone emailing, hammering on the door, looking for a contact email, <laughs> looking for a WhatsApp group. They're about to go huge in America, Union, because Sergio Des looks like he might be on his way. Oh my goodness. Incredible. Which is wild. <laughs> uh, if only they'd got Isco in January, do you remember? I mean, I've got, I, dude, do, do I remember? Dude, I'm still obsessed. <laughs> but just put it this way, before we wrap on this, yeah, 11th in their debut season in the Bundesliga. That was their first ever season in the Bundesliga, by the way. They finished seventh in the second season, get Conference League. They finished fifth in their third season, get Europa League. And they finished fourth in their fourth season, <laughs> get Champions It's wild. Direct for the group stage. It's, <laughs> it's unbelievable, Pusa. It's unbelievable. Um, Union in the group stage is the Champions League. Wow. <laughs> Do you know what? I just hope Arsenal get them. If Arsenal get them in the draw, then, oh my God. Hold me. <laughs> the group of Rye. <laughs> we need. I don't know if it works out like coefficient wise, but we can have uh, Arsenal, Real Sociedad, 
Hunyan. Food. And I'll just let, I'll let, I don't, you know what? I don't even fucking care who the fourth one is. <laughs> <laughs> um, we haven't really talked about the, this, the size to go down. Um, obviously, we talked about Hertha. There's mm. big changes needed at that club. But they actually won their final game of the season. They beat Wolfsburg 2-1 away. Schalke lost to RB Leipzig 4-2 on the final day of the season. They go back down to the Zweite Bundesliga. And Kukru looked um, amazing again. Oh my yeah, God. He did. Chelsea, Chelsea, have got Chelsea got a player, gem. man. Stuttgart drawing against Hoffenheim. They'll play the relegation playoff against Highest Foul. But a quick shout for Jabby Alonso, who got even though they lost their final game of the season to Bochum, they got hammered as well. They qualify for Europe and the job that Jabby Alonso has done this season has been absolutely incredible. So but, um, We've gone on for a long, long time about the men's Bundesliga. We need to talk yeah. about the men's Zweite Bundesliga and then the Frauen Bundesliga after this. So we need to take a break. Let's do it. All right, man, back from the break. And we're staying in Germany. We are indeed. We're going to do a quick bit of a uh, roundup. Bayern secured the Frauen Bundesliga as well. They so, did. Uh, and George Stanway was singing Sweet Caroline to Lena Magul on the balcony at the ceremony <laughs> afterwards. <laughs> Genuinely quite incredible. Uh, it was good to see the Bayern boys down watching the women secure their champ, uh, their Meister Shaft as well. Mm. And they had a, a joint. Uh, parade slash uh, celebration in, in, in the square in Munich, which is cool to see. Good winners for Bayern. Yeah. Uh, they beat, they beat Turbina Potsdam 11-1, which is, it's quite a symbolic victory, this actually. Turbina Potsdam, one of the powerhouses of women's football in Germany, mm. relegated. I'm really, really sad to see them out of the league. So Bayern win the league by two points. Um, Wolfsburg defeat against Eintracht a few weeks ago yeah, was the yeah. one, man. It was the one. That was the one. Which actually is bad news for Barcelona because it, it gives Wolfsburg the hunger. Mm. They're going to need that final. It's the worst possible outcome for Barcelona, actually. You think? Yeah, yeah, of course. Man, like the fire. Because they're not sated by the league now. And now Bayern are coming for mm. them. They've got to go all in to make this season a success. If they don't end up with something, the season's a failure for Wolfsburg with their resources. They won the Pokalo. They, that's that's theirs though. They've won that. What? How many years running is it? Or like eight? Of yeah, the last like they might as well just give it. Yeah, to them. Exa <laughs> exa yeah. Come on. Yeah. It's an, yeah. Uh, disappointing for Wolfsburg, uh, but yeah, a doppel pack for Bayern men's and women's Bundesliga. But let's go to the Spider Bundesliga. Let's, oh my goodness! Wow. Where you thought that the drama of the Bundesliga's final day was a lot, then. We hope you watched uh, the Spider Bundesliga as well because it's not even a bit. It's the best Liga developed. Listen. The Bundesliga was a big event, but the Spider-Wings is a bigger event. It really was. So Darmstadt were already up and they um, lost to Greuterfurt 4-0 on the final day of the season, very much on the beach. On the beach, yep. <laughs> gone, fish gone fishing. Yeah. So Haasfau were in a position to automatically qualify. Hamburg needed to win and needed Heidenheim to lose in their game against Regensburg away to go up. Hamburg did their bit. They beat Sandhausen 1-0 mm. in Sandhausen. Full-time went. The fans went on the pitch. The Sandhausen PA congratulated Haasfau for being promoted, which they later apologised about. The club apologised about. At that point, Heidenheim were 2-1 down at Regensburg, but they were having a VAR check for a potential penalty, which they got 93rd minute. 
The, they pull it back to two all. The guts to score that penalty then. The guts. They then needed one more and they had, I think they were playing, it, the game they, went to 100 they, minutes. They were in Qatar time. Yeah, it was World Cup Qatar time. Yeah, yeah. Um, they got them. I mean, to be honest, as soon as they got the penalty back and the Hamburg game was finished, it was absolutely nailed on that Heidenheim were going to get a winner. I've never been more sure of anything in my entire life. Do you know it's funny because I was I'm really happy for Heidenheim as well, given their playoff failure in the um in the Red yeah, yeah. They were up against like, Verder and they just had more firepower. Like Heidenheim really struggled for goals in that playoff. You could see it and it basically became a shootout. And at that point, I think Verder had like Rashitska. And they, they just had that quality where you knew in a two-legged thing it was going to be too much. So the fact they've gone through like this as champions, and of course, look, I'm I'm sad for Heisfeld because the word traumas may be overused, but this is, you know, they've had some really awful reverses in recent years, but this could be the most painful of them all. This could be in the context, because it's successive seasons, they've had to fight. Now they're still in the playoff, mm. but the problem is in that playoff, you're against a Stuttgart team who have abundant quality and you're in a real dogfight then. I must say, I'm not the biggest fan of the Redigazione playoff. I don't like it personally. I don't, I don't, but, um, I don't, I don't think it, it rewards or it incentivizes. It gives teams who've been poor all season a second bite they don't really deserve. Mm-hmm. If you think about it, like you've been brilliant in your Zweite, it's such a hard lead to get out of anyway. And then you've got like a final. Yeah, last year they, got not, they, they lost to Hertha in the playoff. These aren't teams, these aren't clubs that deserve a, another shot of redemption, to be honest. I don't see that. <laughs> Yeah, this is the thing that I think is a common a common thing in Germany. I I personally would prefer just three up and three down. Yeah, that's how but, I feel. Um, but I understand that it does also give another little bit of drama towards the end of the season. But I, yeah, I think it it definitely benefits the sides in the Bundesliga. But you got to remember as well, though, mm. it's how Union came up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Being Stuttgart at that time. I don't like it though. I still don't like it. All right, all right. Sorry. <laughs> Jeez, all right. I, didn't make, I didn't make it. It wasn't me that did it. All right. I'm going to find out it is. I know one I rep the Bundesliga hard, but I don't have any voting rights. One day we'll find out you had a hand in it. <laughs> yeah, the golden share. But anyway, Heidenheim get automatically promoted to the Bundesliga. Hamburg will play Stuttgart in the playoff. Mm. Um, it's an interesting one, this, because we were talking about it a little bit before, about how we were talking with Seb Stafford Blore about this, about how I think the Bundesliga losing... Hertha and losing Schalke yes it kind of feels like it needs another it, it needs another giant in there mm. and I think Stuttgart are so this is the thing I think Stuttgart staying yes. in the Bundesliga is fine but it would have I think no disrespect to Heidenheim whatsoever or Darmstadt because they absolutely deserve to be there but I feel like there's some big clubs still in that spot. Also, with high, no, it's like the years, it's the project isn't it you talk about we yeah. talk about process and a team really building and improving and Heidenheim full credit for not being not being devastated but actually rebuilding and retooling yeah. and Darmstadt just playing that football that you know you're up you've got nothing to worry about in the final day it's a brilliant achievement in a league like that but you're right in terms of what those clubs bring to fan culture but this also again they'll be great in the Zweiter you'll have like you know Schalke will have huge crowds in the Zweiter Bundesliga that's not a problem so that's yeah that's nailed on but yeah, man, just uh, the Bundesliga final day, the Schweiter Bundesliga final day, unbelievable drama. Do you know that thing that Jan did, that, that big fight they put up? It reminded me of, um, have you seen like Mad Max Fury Road? 
Yes. But the guy kills himself in heroic fashion. He's just like, witness me. It was like, there was a lot of witness me energy in the Bundesliga. Teams on the last day, just absolutely. <laughs> just showing constant, up. Showing up. Like, yeah, I mean, you know, the amount of times I was watching the Bundesliga that day, just pointing and being like, that's bait. That's, that's bait. bait. You know what's funny? <laughs> also, credit to the Bundesliga because there were teams that looked like when, when Bayern won, there were curled players who looked genuinely devastated. Mm. Probably some of them, maybe some Dortmund fans. Oh yeah, they, they, yeah. There was an amazing bit at the Eintracht game as well where they showed the score update for 2-0 and the whole crowd gasped. It was, it was kind of mind-blowing actually. Um, and uh, just uh, something that I just want to shout out, Jonathan Harding quickly, he, <laughs> he highlighted this. Very good. This is such a nice Germanism though. <laughs> um, he wrote, sort of magical that Heidenheim's promotion to the Bundesliga was secured in the 99th minute by Tim Kleindienst whose surname literally translates as small service. <laughs> he wrote, not this time. Should have been Tim Grossdienst. It's a big service. Exactly. Reza Dienst. Exactly. That was some big, big, big service. <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll keep an eye on the relegation playoff. Mm. Um, very, very quickly, should we wrap up some other stuff? PSG were champions again. Yes. They confirmed it. We, we knew that already. Leo Messi with the goal clinching it, breaking Cristiano Ronaldo's record uh, for goals in European competition with 496. Wow. Wow. And they only drew the game though. It's a lot of goals. Against uh, Strasbourg. Uh, Serie A. Milan will play Champions League football next season. They will. Well. because Atalanta lost to Inter Milan beat Juve on Sunday night 1-0 who got the goal who came up big listen Olivier Giroud man what a guy what a weird season for Milan it kind of feels like it's been a little bit all over the place right actually they're, a, they're, they're, they're an honourable mention for Catfish of the Year mm. they are an honourable mention in a certain sense just the, the inconsistency. Um, Pioli couldn't get a tune out of them, then got one out of them, then got a bigger one out of them. And then actually the way it ends up, Champions League, a title defence where you've got Champions League and you got to the semi-final. It's, it's not a bad outcome. It's really not. It's really not. Yeah. Um, that, that's the kind of thing where if you go around, if you go around the trash cans outside the San Siro, you'll find two or three drafts of a sacking letter. Mm. If you go through the drafts, you'll find them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Inter also secured Champions League and uh, so did Lazio. And I think this is one of the things this season that's gone under the radar in Serie A because of everything that's been going on in terms of that top six and, and then Juve's points deduction, getting them back, getting it, you know, getting it taken off again. And obviously Napoli's title win. Mm. Sarri's taken them to second. Lazio played some brilliant football. Yeah. Yeah. Back in the Champions League. Great job by Sarri. Very disrespected, Mauricio, sorry. Yes, absolutely. Still. 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 Um, so breaking news, Poch has been confirmed as the new Chelsea coach. Yeah. Two-year deal. And yeah. And, uh, and also, but we, had, we saw rumours of it, but Spalletti has confirmed that he's going to be leaving Napoli. Uh, we were going to talk about his tattoo, but because he got a lovely, well, I say lovely. It's, it's not, let's just say. <laughs> it's lovely. It's not, it's not something it, I would have got inked. Is it, is it vivid? I mean, he's never going to forget the achievement, that's for sure. Because, um, anyway, he's got, he got a tattoo to celebrate uh, winning the Scudetto. Mm. And uh, there were a few rumours that he might step aside. Uh, and he's confirmed it. He says he's going to take a year, a year off. And he's not going to work anywhere else in that year. He needs a sabbatical. 
It's kind um, of the end of the era then. It's like, kind of amazing. Well, it, I mean, it depends. It depends who's like, I don't know who's around for next year and who... Uh, it's ironic, actually, that Poch took over Chelsea or Pe- Poch has taken the Chelsea job when actually Poch at Napoli would have been so fun. It would have been, but the step, you know, but here's the thing. It's the first, he won uh, Zenit St. Petersburg. He won twice there, but his first Serie A title. Psychologically, this journey he's been on is huge. The emotional pressure, not only to, like, there's a few places that winning a league title is easier than others in, in Serie A. Napoli's pretty much the hardest place of the major clubs you can win a Serie A title at in terms of the pressure, what it means, Maradona, the city, the South, all of that. And actually him taking some time off, it really indicates to me at some level just how emotionally draining this whole thing was. And mm. actually it makes his achievement even more remarkable because they had the narrow failure to get to the Champions League the season before and the huge upgrade, not only in talent, but in playing style. And the reason why I'm slightly, not downbeat about it, I'm slightly downbeat about it because weirdly enough, I think you can afford to lose a couple of big players this summer as long as you still got Spalletti there. But without him there, the brilliant alchemy that makes Napoli what they are, it's only a very special coach that can replace Spalletti and they continue to have this level of success. Mm. Only a very special one. And I'm not sure, I'm not sure that coach is on the market at the moment, actually. Yeah. You know? That yeah, specific man. style. I mean, he's currently coaching, really interesting to see he's coaching at Brighton. He's coaching at Brighton, isn't he? Well, <laughs> don't tempt fate, man, because... I can't, I, can't, I can't see him doing that now at this point. I can't see that happening. It's tricky though. But anyway, let's talk about Poch quickly before we go. Of course, have to, yeah. So we've, it's been rumoured for a while. It's finally confirmed after mm. this. It seems very deliberate they were going to wait until the season was done. Yeah. What do you think? I think that he has completed his supervillain arc. He took the PSG job and he was like a darling. And taking a job like that is a very establishment job, you know? And then he takes this job and this is basically the team that denied Spurs. They basically put the nail in the coffin of Spurs title challenge. The two mm-hmm. will draw at Stamford Bridge. To take this job, it's not like Tuchel taking it. Poch taking it is a very different, sorry, like, it, was, it would be like, let's say Tuchel went to Spurs, it's different. Like for Poch to go to Chelsea, having other, uh, having other Spurs job, that's bad blood. That's brutal. And that's basically it's saying, cold, man. It's cold. And it's basically Poch saying, okay, this is like, this is very much stage two, stage three of my career. Stage one, underdog, you know, total underdog, unknown, stage two, like the hero's journey on the way up. And this is just like, I'm going full on Vader. And the reason it's an incredible appointment from a tactical, technical point of view is the collection of players that Poch has to work with is extraordinary. And the reason I'm saying that early on is because I don't want to hear any talk about, oh no, time for adjustment. No, like he has elite talent stacked at pretty much every position in that squad. And he's got a full preseason. So I fully expect Chelsea to be back up and running as a top four contender, like really quite soon, just because the quality is there. Like even if Todd Bowley acts up, acts out, potch down on the training ground with these players for a full preseason, like give them a couple of, a couple of maybe months like to really get into the swing of things. But when they do, it's like watch out Premier League, as it should be. Remember Ready Steady Cook? Yes. TV show. If you, they used to tip out the ingredients in the bag and the, and the coach, uh, the coach, the chef, mm. I'm, I'm already mixing my analogies. The chef would just make something from that. Mm. 
if you poured out all the ingredients, the Chelsea squad, the size of the club it is, Poch as a manager, yep. the current situation, you'd be like, I mean, what could, go, what could possibly go wrong? This is absolutely set to go. But if you think about it, as much as I love Poch and as much as we love Poch and we've rated Poch before, he's only really had one job where there's been super high expectations. And he found it, and I know PSG is a really odd one mm. to figure out or to judge uh, base managers, not careers, but to judge managers on, right? Mm. I think this is a really big deal for Parch. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I don't know if he's going to get time. No. Because yeah. the manager that was supposed to get time hasn't, didn't get it. Mm. I think there needs to be a clear out of some of that squad in order to really, not necessarily because of a lack of ability, but I feel like, you know when like uh, managers come in and they really, they need, they need to get everyone who is on board on board mm. and they can't have anyone else who's not on board there. Do you know what I mean? They can't have anyone who's on, not on board there. I think it should work, but I'm, I don't think this is a top four guaranteed for Chelsea. I don't think this is a, a title contender or a title charge guarantee for Chelsea. I don't think it is at all. I think it's going to be... I genuinely think, and this is classic rye fencing stuff, <laughs> but this could be absolutely incredible or it could go really badly wrong really quickly. I think that, and that's, that's also fair. I think there's a thing where there's a... I think they should be challenging for top four. I don't, I don't think they're title. I think that's a couple of years at least, I think. But they should absolutely be challenging for top four with that quality of squad and player. Because the crucial thing with PSG was you had two and a half forwards out of the three who didn't like pressing. You could kind of talk Mbappe into it, but you couldn't really talk Messi into it. Well, God knows nobody could. And Neymar was just, you know, he was, he, he worked a bit actually later on. Neymar a little bit later on got it together in, in that sense, but not really that much. Whereas the profile of forward he'll be working with, for example, I mean, you've got Nkunku up in there, who's just an absolute force. And I think, you know, we, we have a much clearer idea of what a Poch player is, is the only thing I would say. His profile of player, when he arrives there, he will know very quickly who's on it. Even with the injuries that he's got to sustain, even with someone like Reese James out, there's still a pretty good baseline of talent. And the reason I say all this is because ultimately they've spent such a large amount of money. Look at United as well, similar thing. Like when a club has spent that much money and strengthened that much, because Chelsea aren't, they actually have a fairly well balanced squad. They've got too many players, I think is the thing. But, you know, Poch isn't, he doesn't strike me as the kind of person to be slow in identifying who his methods will work with and who they won't. I think yeah, I just wonder whether he will have the authority to make the decisions, the definitive decisions at the club, because I feel like at the moment what's happened over the last few, you've switched managers and you've switched different kind of types of coach mm. within quick succession. It becomes quite an easy thing to then blame. Like put it this way, when there's, when there's chaos above playing staff level, yes. not chaos, but a lot of noise. Yeah, yeah, really chaos. Eases, no, it's, it really eases a player to then be like, well, it's everything else. That's why PSG get away with it so much. Um, Do you know what's funny? To, to add to your point, the, the reporting from The Athletic on the demise of Graham Potter, I was struck by how childish a lot of it was. Yeah. I was struck by, you know, some of the stuff coming out, because you, know, you know, players will brief against the manager, but it just felt a bit like, 
you're kind of like hiding. Like, I'm not saying that all, I mean, he has like Tiago Silva coming out. Tiago Silva is someone who had that frustration. And he actually, he had a frustration with the kind of changes. He almost seemed a bit more like, more critical of the ownership than the manager, which I thought was yeah. quite interesting. He, he's the kind of player uh, who you go to and you can actually be sure to get the measure, the measure of it. Yeah. The thing, the thing, what I'm saying about that, and that just no, I see it. It's a great point. This a great will point. work if everyone, if the manager and his staff are giving the space to work, if the players actually listen to him and are prepared mm. to work, and the board are like, okay, you will have time. Well, the length of the deal is interesting. Two years. That now that that says something about. That says a little bit about his uncertainty about what he's going to find when he steps through the door. If you get in there on a two-year deal, you're kind of saying, could be a good time, not a long time. So if it works out, basically like the thing with the Chelsea job is at various points over the last few years, if you've been sacked from it, it doesn't reflect badly on you. And I think there's an element of just in case it's extremely chaotic, just in case it's a bit too wild, those two years allow me to get in and out. And they establish a narrative of they're saying from the very beginning, this is an uncertain job. This yeah. isn't like a five-year gig mm. where you're going to go in and restructure. This is actually, it's acknowledged to be extremely difficult. And in the, in the current circumstances, you're lucky to get me for two years. I think that's almost the energy here. Yeah, but on the pot side as well, this is a really important gig because PSG, then Chelsea in a row, they're two clubs that, again, much like the play, like I was talking about the players before about surviving multiple managers, mm. you go from PSG like Tuckle did it and kind of escaped, got away with it, went to Bayern, but, but he's probably not been scrutinised anywhere near as much as he has been since he's been at Bayern, Thomas Tuckle. Yeah. Yeah. This needs to work for Poch. Probably a little bit more than it did for Tuckle, actually. And probably more than it did at PSG for Poch, because yeah. at Poch, everyone knew he was on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone was like, no, it's like this job is, is really tough from the beginning. The more that these kind of jobs don't work, the harder it is to create authority at a club that you feel like you should be at in the next job. Yeah, that's you know? right. Right. I'm just concerned that he might not get the time that he needs because if you stick with Poch and you really buy it in and everyone buys into it, we've seen what he did at Spurs. We haven't mentioned Spurs yet. I'm just thinking of Spurs fans because Oh my god. Can you imagine after one like one day after the season that's been and then someone so beloved at your football club then goes to Chelsea. Goes to Chelsea. It's just of all the like, clubs, of all the clubs. Yeah. Just they don't need that. They like let the people rest. That combined with the Premier League tweeting that there's 75 days until the next Premier League season. It's just like, will you let these people rest, please? We all need, we all need a fucking break. To be honest with you, do you know what it felt like the Premier League? The same energy for the first time ever. That account had the energy of the Duolingo owl. You know, yeah. it's like, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, learn yeah. more words, more grammar. You're like, oh my goodness, the owl. Learn more up. football. Learn more football. Learn more Watch football. more football. No, oh, do you know what? Like, <laughs> fuck off, football owl. <laughs> football owl. Get away from it. Get, get away from me. Speaking of like, we're missing the, we're, we're recording this ahead of the uh, League One uh, playoff final, which is more football. It's just so much football. Uh, should we get out of here? Let's do it. Don't forget to check Wrighty's house for Moose and I's thoughts on the Premier League final day. Yep, yep. did that with Wrighty. Um, study on Thursday after the Europa League final on Wednesday night. Cannot wait. So that'll go up Thursday, or if we get it done late Wednesday night, we'll do it late Wednesday night. But um, yeah, and then right his house after the FA Cup final on Sunday, maybe some Women's Champions League stuff as well, or maybe we'll do that on Stadio or leave Counter Press to do that. It's all, there's a lot going on, man. Yeah. Getting to the final stage of the season. But yes, make sure you check all of the good stuff on The Ringer. Check theringer.com. 
check Musok Wonga's new website, musokwonga.com. Oh, yeah, I've got a new website. Look at that. Yay, yay, yay. Listen, if people, can people stop asking me to get in touch with Musa and just go and do it yourselves now? <laughs> musokwonga.com. If you want to know where Musa is, or if you want to snitch on him, snitch on him directly. Don't tag me in tweets that he's written at 4 a.m., which someone literally did the other day, yes. by the way. I was just like, Ryan, not, listen, Ryan. this is a grown man. There's a grown adult who is Sending older than me tweets. and has more fellowships than I do. Oh, God. <laughs> Let him sort his own shit out. Uh, anyway, go and check the Stadio Archers players on Spotify. Yeah. Speaking of which, you're playing out on one that I thought was quite fitting after a weekend that featured this kind of drama. It's a track called Life by Soul Inspiration. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. When you started playing this and I started listening to the lyrics, I started thinking of... Um... The vision I got in my head was Jude Bellingham on a private jet, oh. looking tearful over his shoulder, at retreating. But then, See. as he flies over Emmett Stadium on his approach into London, oh. a little smile, there he a is. little smile, there he is, pops a little smile. He's like, "Here's the new it beginnings." Was, it was tough, but this is the right thing to do. <laughs> we can but dream. Apart from that, anything else you want to add, Musa Actually, very quickly, a shout for Pelly Ruddock and Panzu for being the first ever player to go from a non-league club to Premier League yes. with a single. I think just has to be said, just because on those like positive notes, Sean Davis, I think, with Fulham went from the fourth division to the first, but to go from a non-league to the Premier Incredible. League is astonishing. So I just thought we touched on this a little bit on Wright's House as well, by the way, for anyone who's wondering why we haven't mentioned any of the playoff stuff. I just thought such a nice, such a beautiful story that I thought with such a difficult season difficult time it'd be nice to end with a human story that was beautiful so yeah shout out to Pelly and best of luck to Luton in the prep alright everyone much love have a good week we'll be back with you after the Europa League final until then take it easy see you then